that I want to show you guys from this passage that I pray will be a blessing to you. So here's how it reads in Matthew 7, 13, and 14, King James Version. It's, <laughs> Enter ye in at the uh, straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in at. See, this is why I don't always use the King James Version, because, you know, that's kind of hard to say. And many there be which go in there at. See, if that were written today, one of our grammar teachers, one of our English teachers would, would say this is just very poor sentence structure. But we know what it means, right? So it's, it's pretty easy to interpret on the fly. Verse 14, my final verse says, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and there be few that find it. Hey, Rick, would you do me a favor? Behind the bar back there, I have two big garbage bags full of boxes. Can you just bring them up front here and just sit them over by the stage there, Mark Jr.? Uh, here's what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 9, everybody. Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. That's John 10, verse 9. Justin, can you finish that? little passage there with John 10, 10. What's, what does the very next verse say, Justin? That's right. I have come to give you life and give it more abundant because the thief comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. But I come to give you life. So watch this. I was thinking about this sermon this week and the fact that Jesus is now wrapping up the sermon. Now, I'm not wrapping it up. I still got November and December, but Jesus is wrapping it up. And I sort of wanted to like sneak to the end to sort of get a preview of why he was teaching this sermon anyway. And here's what came to me. Jesus was saying, you have two choices in life. Can you all hear me? Two choices. Can you guys hear me at home? Two choices. Hey, Justin, can you change this view to the gallery view so that I can see faces, uh, at least the faces that are willing uh, to show their face? Uh, I want to, you know, be able to see the screen. I want to see, uh, like, Sister Shalia is at home. She's normally sitting right there, but she's a little under the weather today, so remember her. Remember Sister Jeannie's mom. Jeannie said, let me see if Jeannie's on. Jeannie spent the better part of last night in the ER. Uh, she was at the same ER that Brother Coach was at, the Metro ER at Severance in Cleveland Heights. Her mother is there. Sister Juanita Harwell, I've been asking you guys to pray for Jeannie's mom. Her mother was taken to ER last night. She was at Metro, and she was they were they were having some problems because they couldn't find a bed for her. They couldn't find the bed. So I should have called Jeannie and said, hey, they can take Coach's bed because Coach is home now. Praise God. <laughs> Coach is home. But Coach's bed is probably already occupied. But they couldn't find a bed at Metro for Sister Juanita Harwell, so pray for her because I haven't talked to Sister Jeannie uh, this morning to see how things, but late last night she and I were going back and forth, and they hadn't found the bed yet for Sister Juanita Harwell. So remember Sister Juanita Harwell in your prayer, uh, in your prayers, and uh, remember Sister, uh, Sister Julia is on. Sister Julia will be leaving this week. I thought she was leaving last week for down south. Sister Julia's right there. She's going to be going down to Carolina. Pray for her for traveling mercies and, uh, and that for the home going for her brother and for strength and, uh, and encouragement for her family. Amen? So I was thinking about this sermon this week, mainly because I was, uh, and, I, and I see Chris on there. Chris, we love you. I, I saw Chris there a few minutes ago. Chris Houston was on. Um, 
if you if you are still there, Chris, we we love you. We're praying for the Houston family, for the Ray family. We had the home going. This is a Barb Ray Monday at Smith Funeral Home, and I, in prepping for that sermon, I was thinking about this sermon that Jesus gave, and it came to me that we have two choices in life according to Scripture. Jesus said here there there are two gates. There's one that's narrow, and there's one that's wide. There's two paths. There's one that's straight, and there's one that's crooked. You all with me? In the next very few next few verses, Rod, it says there are two trees, trees that are uh, good and trees that are corrupt. There's two destinies, as Justin just quoted in John 10.10. 10, there's one that leads to life, and there's one that leads to death or destruction. There's actually two fruits, whether you want to use the word plural, fruit with an S or fruit being singular. There's two fruits. There's good fruit and there's bad fruit. There are two behaviors. There's the sayers and the doers. I thank Pastor Meek for that because he's the one that incorporated James 122 as our church model. Doers and not hearers. Amen. Not hearers only, but we're doers. But more importantly, we're not just sayers, we're doers. Amen. Are y'all doers? Are y'all doers? I know that is not probably a technical term, but we, we do stuff, right? We work. We work for the Lord faithfully. There's two behaviors I wrote down here according to scriptures. There's two builders. There's the wise and the foolish builders. Two foundations. One is made of rock. One is made of sand. There's two houses. One stood and one fell. You all familiar with all this? I mean, Jesus was just knocking the ball out the park. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, unfortunately, the guardians weren't able to quite knock it out the park earlier against those rotten Yankees. But, but Jesus was knocking the ball out the park all over the place, right? And so I, 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 I looked into this, and I started thinking about the contrast that he was making. Who was his audience? And listen, whenever you're studying Scripture, you always need to know who the immediate audience is and then who the overall general target audience is. His immediate audience was a bunch of scribes, Pharisees, elders, and Sadducees. This was the religious elite of the day. These were the theologians, the philosophers, the bishops, the elders, the rabbis. These cats were like the heavyweights. They were called lawyers, not in the sense of Johnny Cochran type lawyer. They were in the sense of lawyers as they knew the law and the Bible, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. They were like masters at it. Some of them had memorized it. Okay, Jesus was talking to these guys. So he wasn't really saying necessarily, um, he, this comparison, by the way, this contrast is not about saved and unsaved. It's not necessarily about good people and bad people. It's not necessarily about religious people and irreligious people. That's not the contrast or the comparison that Jesus is making in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, especially here in 7, 13, and 14. Who the Lord is really, really talking about is righteous, self-righteous people, and biblically righteous people. He's talking about saved people that are saved according to Scripture and saved people that have created their own salvation. Remember at the mall, I started a series when we were back at Euclid Square Mall. How many of you were with us when we were at Euclid Square Mall? I did a series called Frankenfaith. 
And I said that Frankenfaith is when you like Frankenstein was just a, a creature that was cobbled together from parts and pieces from other things. That's how some of us, not you guys, but that's how some so-called religious folk, Christians, have built their faith. It's really not biblical Christianity. It's really a construct of a bunch of other stuff. And they call it salvation. They call it Christianity. They think they're saved. When they've made this quote-unquote religion, they think it's from the Bible. They think it's right. They think it's accurate. They think they're saved. But they really have kind of like built their own little religion and stamped the name and title on it, Christianity, salvation, converted. And you say, well, Pastor, well, you can't just say that, dude. You're judging. No, I'm not judging Jesus said it in Matthew 7, 21. He says, many of you will say, Lord, Lord, have I not prophesied in your name? Have I not cast out demons in your name? Have I not done many great works in your name? They're going to say these were people, these were the religious elite, the bishops, the elders, the pastors, the ministers, the missionaries, the deacons. Haven't we done all these great things in your name? We were out there saying, Lord, Lord. And Jesus is going to say, listen, I don't know you cats. He said, not only do I not know you now, I never knew you. Get out of my face. Depart from me. And he just didn't just say depart from me. He said, you workers of iniquity, you bad, mean, unsaved, ungodly, unholy, unrighteous people, get away from me. That's that's heavy. That's, that's really kind of, that's really kind of, and so, you know, I started thinking about that. I said, well, Lord, did you just start this in the Sermon on the Mount? And I went back and I said, no, because this is what Jeremiah says. Jeremiah 21.8. I'm going rapid fire here because I'm wrapping it up. Jeremiah 21.8, he also brought that same type of two choices mentality way back in the Old Testament, about 500 years before Jesus, he said, thus saith the Lord, behold, I set before you the way of life. And the way of death. That's Jeremiah 21, 8, Rod Wells. That's a heavy That's a heavy one. I set before you two choices, Rod, life and death. You choose today. He wasn't the only one. Remember our good friend Moses? Rosie know Moses, not as well as she know Abraham, but Rosie know Moses. Moses said in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, he says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you two choices, life and death the blessing and the cursing. So choose life in order that you may live and your descendants by loving the Lord your God and by obeying his voice and holding fast to him. Wow, Moses even told you how to do it. That is just so rich. And remember Joshua? Remember when Joshua was about to pass the torch? Moses, you know, I just read to you Deuteronomy 30. Moses was passing the torch to Joshua to take over at the end of Deuteronomy, the end of Moses' illustrious life, 120 years old. And dude is still heavy and cerebral and, 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 and connected enough, consciousness enough to be able to sit down and write these five books. Some have even said that Moses... Some, I'm not saying that it's accurate, but some have said Moses was possibly even the author of the book of Job because it was written in that same time frame. But here's Moses, a buck 20, writing these words, passing the leadership torch to Joshua. 
And Joshua now, I don't know how old he was. He's at the end of his life and the end of his ministry. And he stands up before all of Israel in Joshua 24. And you know that great verse 15 where he says, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Remember that whole thing? Well, Joshua stands up and Joshua makes a similar speech. He says, choose you this day. I set before you life and death. And remember that all the Israelites at the end of you, you read the end of Joshua chapter 24. They all stood up and shouted, yes, Moses, yes, Joshua, we will serve the Lord. We will serve him and our kids and our kids' kids. Fast forward to Judges chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 8. These cats have turned their back on the Lord and they're serving idols and they're worshiping idolatry and pagans. Dudes didn't even make it one chapter. And then, of course, Israel goes downhill from there because pretty much after Joshua, there were really no more spiritual leaders from start to finish. Samuel came close, but he was a horrible father. You know, both of his sons, God had to kill them because they were horrible priests. Eli had horrible sons. What happens? You know, Marie was saying about the young people. Our parents used to say this about us as young people. Say, you guys are just going to somewhere in a handbasket, and uh, you're just, y'all remember, y'all know what I'm saying, fill in the blank. You know, our parents used to think that we were a wasted generation, that the baby boomers were horrible and terrible, and guess what? Here we are, sounding like, looking like, acting like our parents. Oh, boy, these millennials, these, these Gen Xers, these Gen Ys, <laughs> these young people today, boy, they are just a waste of humanity. But you know what? Our parents said the same thing about us, and look at us now. We're stand-up citizens. <laughs> We're keeping the country going. We're keeping the church going. Well, whatever. I digress. But I think the point is, is that Joshua saw this next generation and said, you guys are just going to lose it. And guess what? They lost it. And it kept going downhill until there was no more Israel and no more Judah because they both got swallowed up by surrounding nations. So I, I read one more, though. I was really impressed by it. Elijah, after all the kings had died, and now we're just down to the prophets. Elijah stood up on Mount Carmel, facing down, staring down those mean guys from, from, from uh, the, the priests of Baal and uh, Elijah. Uh, Jezebel's people and Ahab's people, and, and boy, oh boy, Elijah stood up and said, how long hesitate you between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. Boy, that was strong. That was courageous to do back then, especially when you're in enemy territory. You ain't got no security detail. You ain't got no bodyguards. You just passing out wolf tickets on Mount Carmel and saying, I dare you do something. That's a tough dude. Name your kids Elijah, Elisha. You can't go wrong. Whatever you do, don't name them Nimrod from Genesis chapter 10. <laughs> Number one, it's just a horrible name. You know, it's, 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 it's like, you know, it's just a horrible name. And he was also a horrible guy. But I, I mentioned him because I have him in my notes because he's kind of like the father of the first human achievement religion. He's one of the first guys we introduced in scripture that set up a counter-religion to God and wanted to make himself God, hence the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, where he wanted to erect a monument that was a rebellion to worshiping God, and he wanted everybody, all the worship to come to him and to man. But listen, one last person said you need to make a decision, and that was, there may have been more, but I just put one more in my notes. See, I only had one page of notes because I was trying to do this in under 10 minutes. 
practicing from the funeral on Monday because I told the crowd there, one of the reasons that Barbara came to our church, at least what she told me, is that she liked my playing and that she liked the fact that I, I was a short speaker. I don't know how well I've done it either since then, but, <laughs> but, but I've tried to make this short. But listen to this, Jesus over in John 6, you guys remember this? Jesus had done all these miracles, watch this. Jesus had done these crazy, amazing miracles, turning, you know, water to wine, making fish, ma making fish sandwiches uh, to feed uh, 11,000 people, if you do the math and add women and children. He had done all the uh, raising the widow of name, just, just crazy stuff, amazing stuff. And Jesus said, okay, and John 6, after he had done all these movies, he said, by the way, guys, um, I want you to follow me, but there will require, it will require some suffering and, a little, and some sacrifice. And they said, oh, no, we want no parts of that. Say, man, we were down with you when you were like making fish sandwiches for free and passing out miracles and turning water into wine. We were with you then, but now you're talking about sacrifice, obedience, submission, uh, uh, you know, giving up stuff, turning, uh, denying our flesh. We, we ain't with you. And the Bible says, and many of his disciples, and I've talked about this before. Isn't it amazing that Jesus said, disciples? He said, and many of his disciples, look at it, John 6, 66, I'm not making this up. He said, many of his disciples. He didn't say many of, he didn't say many of the Pharisees. He didn't say many of the Philistines. He didn't say many of the scribes or elders. He said, many of his disciples walked with him no more. And so Jesus turned around and said, oh, oh wait, uh, y'all guys, you know, are, are y'all with me? Are you going to stay or are you going to go? And, you know, Peter made that amazing statement. You leave it to Peter to always come up with the right remark right on time, some of the time. Peter said, Peter said, Lord, to whom, to whom shall we go? You and you alone have the words to eternal life, and we believe you. Oh, Peter, we love you, man except when you're rebuking the Lord and telling him to get away from you. <laughs> so there's just one way to Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, I quoted this at the homegoing service Monday for our beloved sister Barbara. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That narrow gate, Jesus is really serious about this narrow gate. Matter of fact, he said over in John chapter 10, verse 9, I'm the door. You can only enter through me to be saved. There's no secondary salvation, guys. I'm not trying to be bigoted or be narrow or selfish or judgmental, but you can't be saved by being a Muslim. You can't be saved by practicing Judaism. You can't be saved by being in Hare Krishna or any type of form of Hinduism or Buddhism. None of those will work. There ain't multiple roads to heaven. There ain't multiple modes, roads to salvation. There aren't multiple roads to God. People think that there are a lot, but there aren't. I'm sorry. You got to get narrow. You got to tighten your view. You got to narrow your focus. There's not a multiple way to get there. You can't use multiple paths. The Lord is not all in big umbrella type thing. Everybody's welcome. Everybody is welcome, but everybody's welcome to go through that door. You can go through one door one way. And by the way, he said it's narrow. See, here's the problem. Too many people are trying to get through that door carrying all their garbage and baggage. Hey, get back here. They're carrying all their baggage and all their garbage. They say, you know what? 
I'm going to heaven, and I'm taking my stuff with me. Like it or not, I'm going to heaven. And you know what? They're not getting in. Whoa, don't fall. They're not getting in. You, know, you don't have to hold it. I got it. I practice this Friday. They're not getting in. I'm stepping on it. They're not getting in because the door is narrow. You can't come in with all your garbage and expect to get through the gate called heaven. It's just not wide enough. It's not wide enough, guys. So guess what? You got to drop a few things before you can walk through there. I came up here. I took my, I went through my neighbor's garbage, my garbage. I found boxes wherever I could find them. So guess what? You can't get there with anger. You got to get rid of the anger. Is that enough? Well, let's see. Now can I get to heaven? Oh, I still can't get there. Anger ain't enough. So I got to look some more. What is this? Oh, indifference and apathy. Can't make it there. Uh, what's this one? Other than saying Home Depot. Pride. You can't get there with pride. You still can't get in. Wait, I got more. Oh, jealousy. That ain't going to work. You can't make it with jealousy. Ah, worldliness. Sorry. Can't get there with worldliness. And then there's one more in this bag. Maybe I can get in with this. Selfishness. No. Let me see if I can get into heaven now. I'm trying to get it. Oops. Still too big. Still too, I'm, it's still too narrow. My sins, my issues are still stopping me. They're still keeping me from getting in. You can't get in your way. You got to get in God's way. Good word, good word, good word. Amen, amen. God says none of, listen, God says none of this other stuff is going to get you through. Here's one, idolatry. You can't get in with that, guys. I'm sorry. Sorcery. Whoa. Y'all should know better with sorcery. Here's one. Here's one. This, this person was trying to get in. Prayerlessness. You got to watch and pray. You can't. Let me see if I can get into heaven now. I still can't make it. There's still too much baggage. There's still too much of me. Too much will. Not enough Jesus. Too much other stuff, not enough him. I'm still not narrow enough, not lean enough, not mean enough, not tight enough to make it through that narrow straight gate. So I got to unload a few more things. Here's one. Dishonesty. You can't get in with that. Here's another one unfaithfulness. You know how much a pastor talk about faithfulness. Lamentations 3. We quote it all the time. Wait, there's a couple more. I'm going to save that one for last. Here's the next to last one. I'm trying to get into the gate. I'm trying to get in the gate, but I'm fearful. The Bible says, perfect love casts out all fear. I can't have fear. And as I close, there's this guy right here. Unforgiveness. If you don't forgive each other, if y'all don't forgive me, if y'all don't forgive me for, for this very clumsy illustration, God will not forgive you. <laughs> you you, you got to forgive your brother seven times 70. And Peter added another one, and Luke said seven times the same day even. And that wasn't an exact number. That meant any time, every time, all the time you're offended, you got to forgive and let it go. 
Now, when you let all that go, look at this. I can just walk right in. No encumbrances. I can go in. I can go out. (laughs) I can dance. I can jump because I'm free. All of me has been lifted, unloaded, unburdened, washed away, buried, and left at the cross under the blood, under Jesus' feet. It's gone. Woo! Boy, oh boy. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. My Monday morning moment is there's only one way. It's only one way. Jesus said, and, and uh, the word says rather in, Matthew, in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven by which men should be, may be, might be, should be, no, must be saved. God bless you. Amen. 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 I'm going to ask...